our world, well, the sermon, there we go. Our world is set up on if-then propositions. From cradle to grave, our behavior is corrected or encouraged based on how you respond to the if of the proposal. The then that follows is designed to elicit a specific behavior of the if. Let's play a game. As a kid, how many of you were told something like, if you eat all of your dessert, then you eat all of your dinner? Sorry, I had a different childhood. If you eat all of your dinner, then you can have dessert. Teenagers, right now, throughout our community, are cashing in on the if-then statements they've been told their entire adolescence. If you want to go to college, then you need to study. You need to take as many AP classes as you possibly can, and you need to score at least a 10 trillion on your SATs. Adults, we are not immune to this ordering of our lives. We've been told often that if we just do better at our jobs, work longer, usually unpaid hours, producing more of whatever it is we are producing for someone else than a promotion or pay raise might be waiting for us. Not all if-then propositions are bad. If you want to lower your A1C3 levels, then there's a pill for you. If you exercise regularly, then it's less likely that you'll have health-related issues later in life. If you subscribe to my podcast, then you will be blessed with conversations that will help you grow in faith without using stained glass language. I'll wait as you all get out your phones and subscribe. Just kidding. Not all if-then propositions are bad, but from where I'm standing this morning, it seems as though many of those if-then propositions we are faced with, most of them are used to control our behavior, or worse, are used by us to control the behavior of others. Fresh off his baptism after being filled with the Holy Spirit, after being declared beloved by God, Jesus left the banks of the Jordan River and went off into the wilderness. And the Gospel of Luke tells us there the devil tempted Jesus after Jesus fasted for 40 days. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. To you I will give the glory and all this authority, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Mainline, well-educated, Arlington, enlightened Christians get a little squirrely when we get to this story in the Gospels because of one particular character. The temptation of Jesus by the devil, Satan, the tempter, appears in all three of the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all agree that Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days at the beginning of his ministry. 
All of the synoptic gospels agree that Jesus fasted for 40 days and that the, the devil, Satan, the tempter, laid out three if-then propositions for Jesus to consider. Each of the if-then propositions offered by Satan would have made Jesus wildly popular, so famous that he may not have been run out of his hometown in our very next reading in the Gospel of Luke. Had Jesus taken Satan up on the offer of turning rocks into bread, the feeding of the 5,000 might have been a bit easier. Offering food from the hungry, from the stones on the ground, certainly would have given Jesus a boost in the polls. At stake in our scripture reading this morning is an issue of the utmost concern for Jesus' ministry and the church throughout the centuries. Who is to be trusted? Satan or God? Who is to be worshipped? Satan or God? Before entering into the wilderness, Jesus was baptized, declared to be God's beloved son, and then Jesus gave himself over in the wilderness to the temptations of Satan. Had he given in to those temptations, he would have been thumbing his nose at the one who sent him. Jesus would have been erasing the salvific work that began in his mother's womb 30 years before he went into the wilderness. The if-thens of Satan would have derailed the ministry that Jesus was just beginning to start. I'm going to talk like, an, like Kevin's going to laugh at this. I'm going to talk like an American in just a minute, and I want you to know that I've been practicing this last name all morning and all week. It's going to be really hard, but we're going to get through this together. It's spelled out phonetically here, so hold on tight. Chapter 5 of Dostoevsky, nailed it, His novel, The Brothers Karamazov, is an updated examination of the temptation of Jesus. Titled The Grand Inquisitor, chapter 5 explores Jesus' rejection of the offers made by Satan in the wilderness. This story is set in in 16th century Spain during the Spanish Inquisitions. And Jesus returns and is nearly arrested Immediately after he healed the sick, Jesus doing what he does best. And Dovtoveski writes that Jesus in the story opts for freedom over oppression or control. The Grand Inquisitor, pressing Jesus after he had been arrested, states that Jesus should have accepted the offer that was made by Satan back in the wilderness. And because... Jesus did not take that offer. The church now assumes the role offered by Satan. The church assuming this position assures that humanity will experience happiness and security. And all we have to do in return is forfeit our free will. Satan's temptation in the desert and the Grand Inquisitor seek to undermine by confusing the church's message, the basis upon which the church was built, about who Jesus is and what he has done. Namely, that Jesus is the Son of God, the firstborn of all creation, who once and for all cleared the balance sheet 
of our wrongdoings, of your wrongdoings, of my wrongdoings, and is now gathering all of humanity, all of creation up in his amazing grace. Church historian Joseph Ratzinger, a.k.a. Pope Benedict, the retired one, wrote, the, at the heart of all temptations, as we see here in the temptation in the wilderness, is the act of pushing God aside because we perceive God as secondary, if not actually superfluous or annoying, in comparison with all the apparently far more urgent matters that fill each of our lives. Constructing a world on our own lights, without reference to God, building our own foundation, refusing to acknowledge the reality of anything beyond the political and the material, while setting God aside as an illusion. That is the temptation that threatens the church today in varied forms. What's more, we're often tempted, as Jesus was, to deny God as God, placing ourselves as God. We're often tempted to deny the gospel as good news, replacing it with if-then propositions, and in doing so, we are placing ourselves in a role within the church that simply does not belong to us. The good news of the gospel, of Jesus Christ, declares you to be unconditionally forgiven, loved, and saved, while it is Satan who speaks in if-then propositions. We, the church today, attaches strings, if-then strings, to the gospel all the time. In the church today, we often continue to repeat the words that Jesus heard while he was in the wilderness. If you repent, then God will love you. If you believe, then God will have mercy. If you do good, then God will bless you. And when we, the church, add these if-then prerequisites to the gospel, we're flat out wrong. And we become like the Grand Inquisitor stepping in where we believe that Jesus has fallen short. And when we do that, we've completely missed the point. We have failed to learn from Jesus' own experience in the wilderness. The gospel good news is that there are no ifs. There are no buts. There's no fine prints. This week we began a journey through Lent in the wilderness because Lent is a time of being in the desert, of living in the wilderness. We live in a world where the temptation to assume Jesus' throne as our own is always present. We opt for the most reasonable decision, plan out our lives entirely, leaving absolutely nothing to chance. And when we do that, we are pushing God aside God relegated to the private while we wander the wilderness seeking ways to ascend up when the truth is that God in Jesus Christ has already descended down to us. Christ has descended to us bringing us the divine gift of grace. Unmerited, there's nothing you can do about it, nothing you can do to get more, nothing you can do to get less of it. No if-thens attached, no strings Love, forgiveness, and mercy. While many people view Lent as a season to get better through piety 
maybe giving up soda for 40 days or social media for 40 days or chocolate or whatever your Lenten practice is. So often our Lenten practices are laden with the same temptations presented to Jesus in the wilderness. If you do this, then you will ascend. If you do this, then you will achieve. If you do this, then you will be blessed. And if you don't do this, if you fail at whatever your Lenten practice is, then you're not worthy of ascension. You're not worthy of blessing or achieving good news. But the good news for us, the good news for us during Lent, and the good news for us year-round, is that the one who was tempted in the wilderness is also the crucified one, sacrificing himself in our place and is the one who rose on the third day. The one in whom life is made available without prerequisites. No if-then statements for those of us who cannot resist but succumb to temptation. Throughout Lent, throughout the year, and throughout our entire lives, Christ Jesus is continuing to gather us up in His amazing grace. Amen.